I've related to some of the words that have been shared this morning. Um, I woke up this morning and it felt um, one of those mornings where you, you feel drained and uh, a lack of, of get up and go. You'd already got up and gone. And, uh, and that's relating to this week. It's been a, a funny old week in the, in the sense that we were supposed to exchange on a house this week. And we're all geared up for that, for every day off recently we've been working, packing, sorting, so the house is in that kind of a, a state. And um, it was on Thursday, I think it was, that we got word that the bottom of the churn, the developer, had not exchanged, so nobody else could. And he wanted to move the date forward to June instead of um, early April. For completion, which didn't affect us much at all, because you know we were moving to the prophet's house next month and looking forward to that. But it was a sense of it's not a massive deal for us, but it's a massive deal for the ones who are buying our house. And um, and so then they were supposed to complete the next exchange to the next day, and they didn't. And so we have no idea what's going on. And so there's this sense of disappointment and limbo. And um, so feeling tired and, and drained and disappointed. Um, this morning in preparation and prayer I felt God lift me to some degree, but uh, I felt lifted much more as we've been here in God's presence. And um, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, know, you might feel that the, the preacher um, you know, just comes along and preaches the sermons and he's all got everything together and sorted, and, uh, and yet this sermon is as much for me as it is for anybody else here. And I think this particular message is, is an important message. Uh, I don't feel as though what I've actually got down here on paper is one of my best sermons. I really don't feel that because I feel I've, in the context of this week, I don't feel that I've been that inspired. But God's spirit moves in weakness. And God's power is made perfect in weakness. So I don't come with a lack of confidence because God's here. And um, so we're going through the series, Living Free, and you'll see on the slide coming up that the title for today is Freedom Framework. Freedom Framework. And it comes out of Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free... Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I think the picture of the gold bricks, the road, was a a very poignant one, because it really is a visual aid of this sermon in a way. That there is a walk of freedom. And all the time a temptation to get off it. Living free is worth fighting for. Sometimes a fight to stay on that gold road. Just because we've been set free doesn't mean to say we will automatically live free. But the good news is 
we can stand firm in the freedom framework that Christ has brought us into. We can live free as we stick to that golden road that Christ has prepared for us. In other words, his kingdom. His kingdom. The all-powerful kingdom of God. But we can get off track and we can start to operate again in the false freedom framework of the kingdom of darkness. And as we do that, Paul says, stand firm then. Then you don't get enslaved again. These are Christians. Paul isn't writing to non-Christians. He's writing to Christians saying you can get enslaved again. You know, freedom is not the absence of a framework. No, it's been in the right framework. So let's look at some examples and ask the question, which of these are experiencing the greater level of freedom? So we're going to start with an easy one. If we could have uh, the next slide. So here we've got a fish in water. Doesn't that look like he's having a good time? So the next one, please. The next one, please. Whoa, you've gone too quickly. What's going on? (laughs) Slow down. If we could just regroup. There we go. How about that one? That is a fish out of water. And the next one puts them side by side to give that contrast. So which fish is experiencing the greater level of freedom? It's obvious, isn't it? The one in water, because it was created to live in the framework of water. It wasn't created to live in the framework of land, of a beach. That wasn't what it was created for. A fish will only reach its full potential when it's in the framework of water. You know, we can only reach our full potential when we're in the framework of the kingdom of God. Living free in the kingdom of God. The next one, we see a a man here with a parachute. And the next picture is quite harrowing, really. The next picture is 9-11. And a man without a parachute. And then let's go to one with the two together. You know, a framework that controls our fall is vital if you're operating in a framework of gravity. Two framework works at work together. One is absolutely vital to protect us from the danger of crashing to the ground. Sadly, some of the people who jumped out the twin towers died. The kingdom of God is a life-saving place. It is a place of protection. The kingdom of darkness is a very unsafe place. It's a place of death. Let's move on to the next one. Got here a framework of a river flowing between two banks. And then the next one we've got a river that has burst its banks. And then we'll put the two together. Which water flows with the greatest level of freedom? Freedom. 
See, when we have flood water, it, it, it doesn't flow, it gets trapped and it stinks and it becomes polluted and it becomes deadly. Whereas a river, it, it flows with that life-giving fresh water. Galatians 5 goes on, verse 13 forwards. For you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, Let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's the golden road that Jesus is laying. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Jesus sets us free, but there is a fight to rob us of our freedom. Living free is not the same as battle free. In Galatians 5, there is a sin war going on between the old sinful nature and the new life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. Paul is ruthless with the sinful nature. He doesn't say, you know, entertain it, pull up a chair, give it a coffee. No, he says, kill it! Crucify it. Kill it. He's ruthless. So the context of this great freedom chapter in Galatians 5, which starts with it's a freedom that Christ has set you free, we find the context of a battle against sin. You know, when we became Christians, we didn't sign up for the next slide, which is a pleasure cruiser. (laughs) You know, when you became a Christian, that isn't what you signed up for. There are some days when I wish it was. (laughs) No, the next slide. This is what we signed up for. It's a battleship. A battleship. 
You know, Paul writing to the Christians at Corinth, his first letter, chapters 8 and 9, the freedom chapters, awesome freedom chapters. And then at the end of chapter 9 he says this, I beat my body and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I wasn't literally beating his body up, so please don't. But what he's saying is, metaphorically, I, I give my body a good thumping and bring it into line. <laughs> because he said, I know that my body is capable of taking me off track. Paul is passionate for living in the freedom of the kingdom of God. He's passionate about preaching the good news of freedom that Jesus Christ brings, that he sets us free. And he doesn't want to stray away from that freedom framework. So he brings his body into subjection to Christ. In other words, he surrenders his life to Christ. It's a way of saying, I surrender. The hymn writer in the 19th century, George Matheson, said this. There's a picture of him and the, and the words of this hymn. It's written in old language, but the truth of these words are awesome. This attitude of surrender. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword and I shall conquer be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me within thine arms and strong shall be my hand. My heart is weak and poor until its master find. It has no spring of action, sure. It varies with the wind. It cannot freely move till thou hast wrought its chain. Enslave it with thy matchless love and deathless it shall reign. My power is faint and low. Till I have learned to serve. It wants the needed fire to glow. It wants the breeze to nerve. It cannot drive the world. Until itself be driven. Its flag can only be unfurled. When thou shalt breathe from heaven. My will is not my own. Till thou hast made it thine. If it would reach a monarch's throne, it must its crown resign. It only stands unbent amid the clashing strife when on thy bosom it has lent and found in thee its life. It's ironic, isn't it? (laughs) That the way to freedom is the way to surrender. The avenue to living free is to be surrendered to Christ. That's the framework of freedom. Paul in Galatians 5 makes it abundantly clear that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit within us 
that we can win the battle against the enemy, against the sinful nature, and live free. So, brothers and sisters, we have a battlefront with sin within. But we've got two other battlefronts as well. We don't just have one. We have three sin fronts that we face. And the other two fronts are the world and the devil. So we're in a multi-dimensional sin war that would endeavour to steal our freedom, our life of freedom in Christ. Ephesians is a, a great book that talks about what we have in Christ. Incredible riches, incredible position we have in Christ. And then, at the end of it, it portrays the Christian like this. The next slide. As a soldier. So we have all this stuff about who we are in Christ. And at the end of it, Paul makes it very clear that... This is what we should do. He says this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God. So when the evil day comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. You know, our enemy, the devil, or Satan, he's called both things, has many schemes. He has many schemes, and he's been doing this over thousands of years, to seduce us to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Moses chose to be persecuted along with the children of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, Satan takes what God has created holy, what God has created pure and good, to be enjoyed. For us to have pleasure in those things. And he has made them unholy, impure and bad. But there's still pleasure in them because God made them with pleasure And then Satan throws in the excitement of avoiding getting caught. Which adds another aspect. Take sex, for example. Designed by God to be holy and pure and pleasurable. To flow within the banks of marriage, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And Satan just throws the bank one side. He bursts the bank. And and says, let sexual pleasure just flow wherever you want it to flow. And if we come back to the next slide, we'll we'll see what happens when, when we just allow it to flow wherever. We end up with a mess. We end up with impurity. 
We end up with shame, we end up with guilt, we end up with brokenness. God's kingdom is a kingdom of life. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of death. You know, the thing is, Satan is out to take us down. Don't make any mistake about that. He's out to take us down. He is our enemy. He's the enemy of our soul. The pleasures of sin last for a season. It's a short season. Ultimately, death is the end result. This morning, um, Becky told me almost first thing that she'd seen on Facebook. Our bishops, the Free Methodist bishops, and they were in a hotel and they'd done this recording and they'd said James 4, 7 together in unity. And, and with rhythm, as it were. And I haven't heard it, but this is the verse. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I thought, what a timely thing. What a timely message from the bishops. When we submit to God, Satan has to flee. See, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. <laughs> And that brings that third battlefront in, the world. The world is a social system that leaves God out and replaces him with a multitude of other things. And in that framework, what thrives is greed and injustice and hate and bitterness and unforgiveness and selfishness and pride because these are the values of the kingdom of darkness. And that's what we get in that kingdom. An attitude of, I will do what I want to do, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, that is the attitude of rebellion against God, which is at the very core of the kingdom of darkness, because in effect, that's what Satan said right at the beginning when he fell. I'll do what I want to do. God, you're not telling me what to do. I don't want you, God. I don't need you, and I won't serve you. When we have that attitude, we get off the golden road. We're off it. We've gone down another path. We're not living free anymore. Not saying you've lost your salvation, don't mishear that. Not saying that you're not saved anymore. But you're not living free anymore. I'm not living free anymore when I do that. Do you like being on the winning team? There's some nods. Those of you who know me, kind of get the impression that I like being on the winning team. Do do you enjoy experiencing victory? Yeah. We don't like to lose, do we? No. Jesus Christ is the great victor. He is the great victor. In Colossians 2 verse 15... We read these words about Christ. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That was the equivalent of D-Day in the spiritual realms. Jesus dealt Satan and all his evil spirits a death blow. And now we await Christ's second major victory, V-E-Day, his second coming. When the ground on which the enemy is squatting, is occupying, will be taken back from him. Satan is all his agents will be destroyed forever in hell. Battle over! 
Game over. Kingdom of darkness defeated. No more, no more battle. I want to leave you with this. We must never lose sight of these two great victories. We must never lose sight of these two great victories. The victory of Jesus Christ. And and Jesus Christ didn't act alone in these victories. He worked in obedience to God the Father and in the power of God the Holy Spirit. And the only way we can live free is to choose to daily live in the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us. Now, living free doesn't mean to say pain-free. doesn't mean to say that there's going to be no problems. doesn't mean to say that you know, it will be a pleasure cruise. It's never going to be a pleasure cruise until we get to heaven. And then it's going to be one almighty pleasure cruise. <laughs> so we need to choose daily to live in that victory. Paul writing to the Christians at Corinth said, Thanks be to God... He gives us the victory, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in his second letter, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession, how? In Christ. And to the church at Rome, he wrote, We are more than conquerors, how? Through Christ, who loved us. In other words, through Jesus Christ. You know, we cannot live free in our own strength. We will never do it. Never, ever do it. Satan's been strategizing for thousands of years. How are we going to beat that? In our own strength, we cannot do it. We mustn't go alone, but in the framework of the kingdom of God. In obedience to the Father. Living in the victory of Christ. And walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are more than conquerors. We cannot be defeated. Even death is a doorway to eternal peace and joy and love. So even martyrdom is a doorway to something far better. So in closing this week, I have a challenge for you and for me. That every morning this coming week, that the first thing we do when we awake, maybe you could have a cup of tea to just get you going, brighten you up a bit. Depends whether you're a morning person or not. But anyway, forget that. <laughs> first thing, just meditate on the victory of the cross. Now just meditate on the victory that's coming when Jesus comes back again. And if you've only got two minutes, we'll just spend two minutes. If you've got 20 minutes, spend 20 minutes. But just start the day. And when you've meditated, end that by praying that God would fill you with his Holy Spirit. Then you've got your eyes on the right framework. You've got your eyes on the kingdom of God. And it will help you to live free. 